which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, it is good to be back with you this morning. Uh, it's a little bit different from last time. We were here a couple weeks ago, and uh, when we come a co- came a couple weeks ago, um, we kind of knew why we were here, and some of you knew why we were here, uh, but many didn't. Uh, that uh, the church had contacted us, and as you're looking for a new pastor, and had interviewed us, and uh, thought that we might be a prospect for it, and so we were coming kind of uh, seeing you, and you were coming to, some of you knew, to, to see us, and uh, today's a little bit different because last week uh, the church did decide to go ahead and to recommend uh, Carly and myself to you to, to become uh, the next pastors here, and uh, so today's kind of strange in a little bit. Uh, it's strange for me and strange for you. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, I'm a what you see is what you get kind of person, and sometimes we can dance around things, but uh, no, basically, this is kind of hard. This is kind of different because uh, Carly and I have uh, been at Shadowbrook Baptist Church just back in Swanee for 23 years. And so we're familiar to those people. They're very familiar to us. And so, you know, this is just kind of strange looking out and seeing, you know, different faces. Uh, but I can only imagine how strange it is for you, too, because you've been so wonderfully led for 10 years by Daryl and his family and and so, you know, guys, it's one of those things that we can look at the strangeness. We can allow that to, to really affect us this morning. And, you know, we're both kind of filling each other out a little bit. But, you know, my prayer this morning, as I told Ricky and, you know, my wife and I prayed, is this, that Christ would be the center of everything that we do today. And that everything we do really concentrates on him. Uh, you know, it's a good thing that uh, I haven't had to have this experience a lot in 23 years. I, I promise you, you know, there's some... There, I, I know some pastors that every 18 months, two years, you know, they're, they're before another congregation. I know of some congregations that every 18 months, 24 months, you know, they're, they're looking at a new possible pastor. And so it, it's a good thing that you have had consistency and you have had maturity and great leadership over these many years. Uh, I think it was a good thing that God had us in one place for 23 years and that we were able to uh, minister in the Swanee community, uh, committee there, uh, community there for a while. And, uh, and so it is one of those things that uh, I'll tell you, I don't get nervous when I speak that much, but I'm nervous this one. I mean, it's just one of those things, uh, you know, you can't even say community or community. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things that it's new and it's different. And my prayer for you as a church is that God will so lead you in the next couple of weeks as you have the biggest decision before you in, in many, many years. I don't know that there's a bigger decision before a church than calling a pastor. Because that pastoral leadership, not that it all rises and falls on the pastor. Uh, I would certainly hope that none of us as pastors would be that egotistical that we would think that it rises and falls. But certainly, you know, we just want God's will. My wife and I want God's will. You want God's will for this church and for this community. I will tell you this, very excited about everything that we have seen in your community. Very excited about your people. You have made us feel very, very welcome over the last couple of weeks. Uh, let me tell you this about the committee. Uh, what professionalism. What a prayerful committee. Um, I've interviewed with large churches. I've interviewed with small churches. I'll tell you that the, the men and women that you had, those nine people that you had on the committee, uh, sought after God's heart. I was so impressed with them. And as I would come home from some of those times of questioning or even talking on the phone, I would tell my wife, 
what a confidence that gave and what good hands you as a church are in. So, uh, you know, we will see what God's will is for, for ourselves and then for your church. And I pray that uh, today will be one of those days that, that you'll just see a little bit of my heart. There's so many different things that you can preach about. Uh, I was very tempted, I'll be honest with you, very tempted to preach one of those sermons that you know, people go away going, wow, you know, that just really got me. And I pray that that will happen this morning, okay? I, I'm open. But, but it really is kind of a different kind of sermon because it's really about the beauty of the church. You know, we've grown accustomed in, in our day and age that you know, we want everything centered on us. You know, if, if we're a husband, we want like, give me five steps to be a better husband. If we're a wife, give me five steps to be a better wife. And if we're a mom or a dad, give us, you know, three steps to be a better parent. And we, we want that. And those things are great. They're good. Certainly godly as we follow godly principles. And, and yet we've become so accustomed to the whole world kind of shining on us that sometimes we miss the beauty of what God has put around us. And if we're not very careful, we just walk too fast through that. And, and so this morning, I... Every time I tried to go away and get one of those sermons, I go, man, you know, this will kind of work. Uh, God kept on bringing me back to the passage of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, again, Ephesians chapter 2, when I preached this years ago in, in Shadowbrook, I think it took six or seven weeks just to get through, you know, the Ephesians chapter 2. And, and so we're not going to take six or seven hours today to go through it. But in Ephesians chapter 2, we really see the Apostle Paul giving us a, an overview of what has happened and what God's desire is for the local church. And that may be something that excites you greatly, or it may be one of those things going, okay, you know, I just want to know more about me. I want to know more about how I can do life. Well, I promise you guys that by God's design, his design was always that you would do life as a mom, as a wife, as a husband, as a kid, whatever it is, with a local body of believers. That if you're a Christian, you are not to do life on an isolated island, kind of out there just painting the Lone Ranger, you are always intended by every part of the scripture to do life together. And, and so before we can have sermons about family and, and how to be a better mom, dad, and all those kind of things that are very practical and very needed, we really need to know, okay, God, why did you design the church? Why don't I just kind of YouTube that? Why don't I just kind of get you know, something on, on you know, my iPhone and listen to that? You know, more people listen to sermons on iPhones and different medias like that than on Sunday mornings now. It's an amazing thing that people, you know, we hear the Sunday mornings, but then we go back and we'll listen to Charles Stanley, if that's our flavor, or Andy Stanley, if that's our flavor. And we'll listen to all these great communicators that are out there. And uh, it kind of gets us through the week. I have my favorites. There's certain ones that, you know, if Alistair Begg, I don't know if you've even heard of that guy, but, you know, if Alistair Begg is preaching, I'm listening, you know, because I just love the guy. And we all kind of have our favorites. And we've become a society where it's not that we're not hearing the Word of God, we're kind of doing it on our own time, in our own way, kind of our own fashion. And that's why we've seen actually a decline in church attendance uh, across the last 10 years. It's kind of an amazing phenomenon. In the time that we need Christ more than ever, we've kind of gone into this kind of isolated Christianity and kind of, you know, not so much that we're ignoring God and not so much that we're ignoring God's word in our life, but, you know, just not getting it in the fellowship of believers. And so this morning, I want to talk to you uh, not so much about Cornerstone, you know, not so much about Shadowbrook, where we came from, but, but God's idea for the church. And when I say the church like that, I mean the church... Uh, all believers across the world that are unified by the finished work of Christ. 
See, today there is a church in China. There is a church in Russia. There are people that are believers throughout every continent. The Bible says that every tribe and every nation, that there's going to be believers, that the word is going to be preached, and people are going to trust the finished work of Christ. And that unites us. And at the same time, as much as I can pray for those that are in China this morning, as much as you could send money and missionaries and different things like that, the bottom line is, you know, are they really encouraging me and, and am I encouraging them? You know, do we have that ap- uh, opportunity to be able to do it? Sure, we could even Skype and we could have a pen pal in China and we can have that kind of relationship. But week to week, the consistency of what we see in the New Testament is that God's design is for us to truly have community in a local body of believers. Uh, we see this throughout the New Testament, but you know, there's, there's certain uh, words that we see, the body of Christ. Maybe you're familiar with that term, and it's talking about the church. And it's not talking about a structure. It's not talking about how tall is your steeple. It's talking about the people, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. But perhaps my most intimate one, uh, the one that I love the most, is the bride of Christ. You know, you just think about the bride of Christ. Now, maybe that's a little bit intimate to my wife and I right now because we married off our oldest daughter in, in February. She uh, is married, and she was a beautiful bride. She's a beautiful young lady and because she looks like her mama. And, uh, you know, so she's beautiful to me every single day. But on that day, when I walked her down the aisle, I, I just can't tell you. My daughter, a little bit of an introvert, a little bit. I mean, she's just not one of those that's going to go, okay, I'm going to go up there and grab the mic, Ricky, and, and start singing a song. You know, she's just not that type. She, she kind of likes more of the shadows than the limelight. But we got this video back from the wedding when it was all said and done. They kind of compiled all, you know, from the, the beginning to the end. And I'm going, who is that girl? Who's that girl in there? Because look at the, she's vivacious. She's just, you know, her personality coming out, smiles from ear to ear. She was lighting up the room. It's not that she does not have that ability. It's not that her dad doesn't think that she lights up the room every single day she walks into it. But there was something about her there on that day of her wedding when she was the bride that was just amazing. And so today as we open up God's Word and we begin to think of the church, both universal, you know, all believers, but also the local church, that this intimacy that God would call us the bride of Christ, that, that he would really just kind of you know, give that intimacy, that Christ is the bridegroom and that we are his bride. Folks, that's amazing. And, and we are not to really kind of uh, uh, move over that quickly. As I go out and, and talk to people, uh, oftentimes, uh, if you're a lawyer, they want free law advice. If you're a dentist, they probably want, you know, hey, can you look at this? You know, if you're an auto mechanic, I can only imagine what people come up to you. Hey, I've, I've got this sound in my car. And uh, probably, readily with a chef, you know, hey, well, what should I put here? Do you have a, you know, a good recipe for this? You know, whatever profession you're in, they kind of always want to kind of tip that a little bit. And, you know, one of the questions I get most asked most often is, um, kind of in a negative frame. You know, I get all kinds of questions, especially about marriage and parenting and all that. But the one that I get kind of more than not, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you're, you're, you're talking to somebody and say, well, you know, we don't, we're just not kind of church people. And, and, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, how would you answer that question? Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Yeah, Eric's saying no. Anybody else? No. Exactly, exactly. 
You know, so theoretically, we know the right answer to that is there is nothing about going to church that automatically makes you a Christian. You could go to church every single day of your life if it was open and, and not be a Christian. You can come join a church. You can get as wet as you want to and, and, and not be a Christian. So there's nothing in the mechanics of going to church and there's nothing in the mechanics of even being baptized or joining the church that just automatically makes you a Christian. So theoretically, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, biblically. But everything we see in the New Testament, every single writer in the New Testament just made this assumption. Hey, you're, you're a Christian. You are going to be part of a, a body of believers. You're going to be doing life with other people. You're going to have the highs and the lows. You're going to have the challenges, and you're going to have all these things that are out there, and you're going to do it with other people. And you're always not going to do it with people that are just like you. And that's what we really want to kind of look at this morning. Uh, ask some people to, to read. I hope that's okay this morning that, uh, um, you know, how the, the New Testament just gives us all this information and all this uh, direction about how we are to do life together and we see it from all the different writers for example paul who has the one from paul okay eric if you'd read that for us for the body does not consist of one member, but many. Okay, so Paul's just making that assumption. He's using the illustration of a body. You've got fingers, you've got toes, you've got eyes, you've got ears. He said, hey, everybody's an eye and an ear, a toe, a this, that, and the other. And uh, he said, you're, you're part of one body. Uh, what about Luke? Now, Luke was a historian, okay? And, and so Luke comes along, and he's kind of doing a historical record of the church. And who has the one from Luke, okay? Bruce? Okay, one day, 3,000 people come to Christ, instant megachurch. I mean, overnight, instant megachurch. And yet, look, it says they were doing these things together. They were studying the Word together. They were eating together. They were fellowshipping together. They were kind of there. And the last part, it says they had all things in common. It didn't mean that, you know, they just kind of pulled all their resources and put it in the middle. Some people thought, you know, was it kind of like a communistic society? No, that's not what it was whatsoever. They just had everything in common. They were of one mind and one heart. The Bible says that they were in one accord. And so we see that this intention of us not doing life separately as Christians, but together. Uh, what about John? Okay. Okay. We know that First John is one of those things, where, uh, one of those... Uh, books where he's kind of drawn a line in the sand saying, okay, here, here's the ones that say they're believers, but here's the ones that are actually believers. And one of the things he said, if you're in the light, as Christ was in the light, one thing you're going to do, you're going to fellowship together. He said, you're going to be one with another. You're going to seek out that camaraderie from other Christians. You're going to need them, and they're going to need you. Okay, what about Peter? Peter is one of those that, you know, we always see Peter saying a lot of things before he thought about it, foot in the mouth, 
But what did Peter say after the Holy Spirit comes and kind of, you know, calmed his spirit down a little bit? Uh, what does he say? Radley, do you have that? That's what he says there in verse 10. He, he, he says, you know, once you were not a people. He doesn't say you weren't a person. He's not saying that you didn't exist. He said once you weren't a people, you, you weren't this identity together. But he says now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now any Jewish person would have heard that and gone, yeah, we've been a people for a long time. But not the Gentiles. So unless you're in here this morning and you can really trace all the, your roots all the way back to Abraham in a Jewish sense, you know, we were outside of this covenant as Gentiles, non-Jewish people. We were outside of this. And the amazing thing about what Christ brings in the New Testament is that he brings us together and he says, okay, now you're part of this. You're part of the covenant. You're, you're part of a people. Okay, last one. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. I kind of have my suspicions, but we really don't know who wrote Hebrews. So, uh, Tracy, do you have that in Hebrews chapter 10? So you can read this. You can, you can listen to this and say, okay, man, he's just trying to say, make sure that we're in church every week. You know, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> I would certainly, as a pastor, always encourage everybody to, to be part of the body on a weekly, uh, if not even more, throughout the week basis. But that's really not the heart of that. He wasn't saying, okay, make sure you come to church. What you're saying is do life one with another, especially as we see that day of coming, the day of Christ, the day of judgment, all those things that would come. He said, as that approaches... As you get that way in history, he said, all the more we're going to need this fellowship of people to encourage us. That's what he said. They encourage one another all day long. Encourage one another. Kind of make one another accountable. And that's, folks, the beauty of the New Testament church. It really is. It's one of those things that God begins to show us in the beauty that, that you and I, though we are very different, and we come from a lot of different backgrounds that God brings us together to do life together. And we're united in this universal church uh, across the world, but also in a local body of believers. The New Testament makes a direct connection between Christ and Christ being that sole one that brings us together in this new life that he has given us. And we begin to see this in Ephesians 2. So if you were there in Ephesians 2 and you're going, okay, are we ever going to get to Ephesians 2? Now we're in Ephesians 2. So open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. And again, we're going to kind of do an, an air view of it, you know, helicopter view, because uh, we don't have the time to really go through all the intimacies of Ephesians chapter 2. But, but look what it says. What Paul does here is he points a before and after picture. Uh, do any of y'all watch HGTV, all the home fix-up Okay, that's kind of the channel. I mean, if it just stays on at our house, and you know, whether it's the redoing the lake houses or you know, finding something in a foreign country and all these different ones. And part of the things that you like, especially about the the do-it-yourself type uh, ones, are the before and after pictures. You know, you watch the whole thing for 30 minutes for an hour, so that in the last five minutes you can sit there and go, "Wow, that really was an ugly house." But now look how beautiful it is. And if you guys able to see all the different things that these designers had in mind, sometimes it's as simple as taking this wall out and doing all that so that it would open up. 
And you get that contrast of what life was like before, the house was before, with that before and after picture. Well, that's what Paul does here. He gives us a picture of our life before Christ and a picture of our life after Christ. Notice how he he says that. Uh, Verse 1, he says, Before Christ, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. Folks, the Bible makes it very clear that you and I, we didn't just have an infection. But we weren't even into a, a deep coma. We were dead in our sins. We were as alienated, as far away from a holy God as we could be in and of ourselves. You know, sometimes we go, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, don't, I don't think I was that far from God. Well, well Paul kind of settles that. Paul says, man, before Christ, without the work of Christ, we were dead in our sins. He goes on in verse 2 and he talks about how our mindset was to walk according to the course of this world. In other words, selfishness was one of those things that we were just born with. And, and, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, you know, I don't know that we were just born with selfishness. How many of y'all are parents? I mean, did you ever have to teach your children, you know, uh, how to share toys? Yeah. Because the nature, it's not like you said, okay, no, when Billy comes over, you do not let him play with that. That is your Tonka. You know, that, that is your Legos. And when he tries to reach for it, you just, you hit him. Those are your toys. Mom and Daddy, we bought those for you. We, we didn't do that lesson. No, if anything, we're going, oh, look, you know, you're to share your toys. Why? Because there was this inward nature within that child, even though they're one, two years old. I mean, one of the first words that a child learns, mine. Yeah, mine. And they wanted to share it with anybody, even a family member, even mom and dad at times. And so he said, that was your mindset. You ran the course of this world. You lived according to how the world thinks. And basically, we can just kind of put that in self-sufficiency and self-dependence. That was our mindset, every one of ours. And we still battle with it. He goes on in verse 3, he says, You once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You were by nature children of wrath. And when you start to listen to these things, it's kind of discouraging. Okay, Paul, get to something that's halfway encouraging because he said, this before picture, there was nothing attractive about it. In fact, if we go down to verse 12, he said, we were separated from Christ. We were strangers to this covenant of promise. Talking about that Jewish Old Testament covenant. He said, you were strangers as Gentiles to it. And the conclusion was this. Look at verse 12. What was the conclusion? We are without You and I couldn't fix it, folks. There wasn't enough church to go to. There wasn't enough good to do. There wasn't enough moralistic teaching that we could be obedient to. Unless you were perfect, he said, you have no hope. You're dead in your sins. Now, folks, that's not stuff that you'd put on a resume. If you're putting together a resume, you're going, okay, tell us a little about you. Well, you know, I was dead in my sins, and I pretty much walked conforming to this world. I'm pretty much a selfish, a very selfish person and full of pride. You know, we don't put those things down about ourselves. But Paul did. And it wasn't the purpose to say, okay, I'm just going to put you in your place. Paul did this for, for one reason. The reason was he wanted us to know that before picture so that we could see the beauty of the after picture. You know, on those HGTV shows, if they just said, okay, here's the after picture, you're going, that's impressive, that's nice. But if you never had the before picture, if you never had what it was compared to, you would never know, wow, that just looks ten times better, a thousand times better. And so Paul does that, but now look at two turning points. There's two times within this passage of Ephesians 2 that Paul comes in and he basically at that point says, okay, but here's what Christ did. The first one is in verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4. 
Uh, what's the first phrase, the first two words in verse 4? But God. Aren't you glad that in reading the word, there's these uh, words like, but God and but Christ. You know, that here's where we were, but God, but God what? But God is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, did what? He made us alive. There's a before and there's an after picture. So this isn't all bad news. The good news is there. He just wants to show us the bad news so that we can see how good the good news really is. And so Paul begins to give us that. Go down to verse 13. What's the first phrase in your Bible? I know we may have different translations. What's the first phrase in verse 13? But now in Christ Jesus. Okay, this was it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This compare and contrast, this before and after, Paul continues to do it. In verse 5, he says, you are no longer dead, you're now made alive. You like the song Amazing Grace? You know why, you know why we like Amazing Grace? Number one, because a lot of us heard it maybe from the time that we were little kids, and it's just a familiar song to us. But I think one of the reasons why we like a song like Amazing Grace is because I don't know that I've ever found a person who cannot identify, that is, a Christian, who has trusted Christ as their Savior, who cannot identify with, man, I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, now I'm alive. And that's what Paul is saying. He gives us this contrasting view. He says, you're dead, you're alive. In verse 10, he says, no longer you walk according to the course of this world. But something else has happened. In verse 10, he says, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right after it says that we're saved by grace, And grace alone, only by the work of Christ, he says, okay, but here's, before you were ever born, God had created in you some good works, some some way that you would be fulfilling uh, your call upon, his call upon your life. Look down at verse 90, it says, you're no longer strangers, no longer kind of on the outcast, but now you're fellow citizens, no longer aliens, now you're members of the household. I don't know that most of us know what it's like to really be called an alien. I don't know that, I mean, there may be some that would come from a different country, maybe different background, and somebody says, oh, so you're not from around here, and, you know, maybe go on and kind of say, you know, uh, use that word, that you're, you're, you're you know, an alien, you're far from, a, from another country. Uh, when we see it here, folks, this was alien to God's will, alien to God's purpose, He said, before you were living your life apart from that. But now because of Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, now you're members of a household. 2 Corinthians 5.17, perhaps one of our favorite verses we we love, about how everybody when they come to Christ is a new creation in Christ. Have you heard that verse before? All the old is passed away. All things have become new. That's what Paul was illustrating here that when we trust Christ and we place our life in his finished work, then we are brand new creations. But here's the thing that I want you to see. When that happens, folks, there is a foundational change spiritually, theologically and spiritually, but also relationally. It wasn't just that, okay, you are far from God and now you're brought near. He says, look at the intimacy that he begins to bring into it. And it's hard for us to really realize how radical this was for the people that he's writing to in, in the church. In Ephesus, they had a temple. And uh, anybody know what temple that was? Temple of Diana. And they, 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 they did some strange things in that temple, okay? 
and uh, some not PG-13 things. I mean, they did some strange things in that temple. And so Paul comes in there. He starts preaching the word of God. And he starts, you know, reaching these folks that are in that community. And all of a sudden, they start trusting Christ. Some of them start trusting Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And they start coming to church. Can you imagine that person who had the Jewish tradition and, and has now placed their faith in Christ, but they're, you know, they've got generations of faithfulness there, generations of people going, yeah, my great-granddaddy, he was this in the church, and my granddaddy was that in the church, and my daddy was this in the church. And all of a sudden this person comes, yeah, my, my great-granddaddy was one of the head priests over there at the uh, Temple of Diana. And all of a sudden they're sitting on the same pew. Also, these people from diverse backgrounds, and we don't even begin to understand how diverse the Jew and the Greek were. It, it makes what uh, the United States went through and the South went through in the 60s with integration, segregation and integration, makes it look like a piece of cake, guys. It really is. The Jewish-Greek difference, more dramatic than you and I could ever imagine. And yet what happens here? is that Paul, when we get down to verse 19, Ephesians 2:19, he says, no, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Now, that, that, that fellow citizens, another way of saying that is you're one nation. Uh, I probably don't have to go really far in this one. To, to, you know, we have a lot of pride in our nation. You know, we have a lot of pride in our America. You know, we, we like the fact that, you know, that, that we, we have this freedom and, you know, we love the flag. We love to say the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, we, we just, you know, we're, we love our country. We love our nation. And that nationalism, Paul plays upon that because he said, you know, before it's as if you did not have a country that would claim you. Now you have a country. You have a nation. You're fellow citizens. He said, you've been brought together. I mean, we use that kind of nation or that terminology, describe a lot of things that bring us into unity. The bulldog nation. You know, you, you like your bulldogs. You know, you, you like watching college football on Saturday, and all of a sudden, you know, people from diverse backgrounds could be from all over the country, from all kinds of different backgrounds, and yet if you like UGA football, you're part of the bulldog nation. And you're going to go tailgate with the best of them. You're, you're going to be right in the mess. There's not going to be any strangers, because why? You're part of a nation. You're part of a people. And that common love brings you together. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. But he gets even more intimate at that. If we go down, he says, and now you're members of the household of God. He goes from a, a national look down to even a more personal. He says, you're, you're part of a household. You're a part of a nation, but you're also a part of a family. Part of a family. Folks, when we get our heads around this, and we begin to see the beauty of the New Testament church, it is one of the most mind-blowing things that you could ever imagine. It truly is the Hatfields and the McCoys sitting together. Not Hatfields over here and McCoys over here, but Hatfields and McCoys right there on the same view. I mean, it, it truly is Yankees fans and Red Sox fans. And some of you will get that and some of you won't. But if you know anything about baseball, those people hate each other, okay? And yet, you know what Paul's trying to give us a... a grasp in our mind. He says, look, when Christ comes in, that is your new identity. You know, you may have walked in here as a Yankee fan and looked across and seen, you know, Ricky has on this Red Sox shirt or something like that and go, man, I'm sitting on this side. But when we, you know, when we come to Christ, our identity is no longer on those things, 
that could be somewhat superficial. All of a sudden, our identity is Christ. He's the foundation. It's the songs that we sang this morning. Christ alone, cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. He's the one foundation. He's our whole new identity. And when we begin to understand that, all of a sudden, you know, on the same pew, you have uh, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, you know, on the same pew, if they come to Christ. You know, we, we have Pepsi drinkers and Coke drinkers together in the same pew. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, we have all those ites, the Israelites, the Jebusites, all these ites. And can you imagine the New Testament church? Because in the Old Testament church, you have the Israelites and everybody else, all these other ites. But can you imagine the New Testament church? You have all these different ites sitting side by side by side. There may be a, a Jebusite who's come to know Jesus Christ and he's sitting right beside an Israelite, right beside a Canaanite, right beside this person. Because all of a sudden their identity, their nation is no longer Cana. Their nation now is the household of God. Their identity has been totally changed foundationally from the very bottom up changed because now they are in Christ Jesus. We see that throughout every church that Paul wrote to. Uh, Let me give you a couple. They'll be up here, uh, I believe. Uh, Galatians, when he wrote to the church in Galatians, look what he said, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, 28. And see if you can pick out how he's bringing those that are very different and bringing them together. Galatians 3, 27, 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are one in Christ. He just picked on some really heavy hitters from that era. Male and female, you don't think that there was a big difference 2,000 years ago, culturally? Slave, free? And yet, what, do you say? what does he do? In Christ, if Christ is that cornerstone, if Christ is this foundation, he says, it has changed every part of your identity. When he wrote to the Romans, look what he wrote in Romans 10, 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Well, some people would have been reading that going, I can tell you a distinction. The Jews thought the Greeks were barbarians, and the barbarians thought, or the Greeks thought that the Jews were dogs. I mean, they, they exchanged some words. There was a division among those people groups that was incredible. And yet, what does Paul say? For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all those who have called on him. He said, Your life has totally changed now. When he wrote to the church in Colossae, he wrote to the Colossians, and he said, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freed, but Christ is all and in all. Folks, it's been long said. You, you've probably heard this, somebody say this. You, you may have actually said it too. Man, the church would be great if it wasn't for the people. You know, the concept is great. Unfortunately, I've heard a lot of pastors say that. Man, this would be the greatest job in the world if it wasn't for the people. And when our mind goes there, it's because we begin to see all the differences. Man, that's not how I would do it. Man, can you believe that they do this? And all of a sudden, they see all these things that we're dissimilar on because they don't see the unity that Christ has brought. And we're not letting Christ be that resounding identification in our lives. That comes with maturity. I don't know. I was 12 years old when I trusted Christ as my Savior. 
And, I, and I'll be the first one to tell you that when I was 12 and trusted Christ as my Savior, I did not have good theology. I didn't have, you know, kind of a sounding of really what that meant. I meant one thing. This means I'm not going to go to hell. I mean, it really was. You know, the church that I grew up in, and I, I call it the church of the do's and the don'ts, and, and it was pretty much, hey, you do these things, and, and pretty much this is, you know, you're going to get heaven. You do these things, you ain't going to heaven. And, and so I kind of grew up in that, and, and a lot of my early theology and my immaturity in those early years, I, I believe I truly trusted Christ. I tr- believe that by his grace he saved me, even though I had zero theology right. But the bottom line in all of that, was that when I put my trust in him, that, that he just saved me. And it brought a new identity. And now it's taken me all these rest of the years to, to kind of really understand that that identity really is the identity that should uh, kind of uh, show forth more than anything else in, in my life. Uh, this morning, I want to share with you that last week we... Uh, my wife and I, we drove around and we looked at the neighborhood and just looked at all the people groups that are around here, just, to, you know, here in you know, Jefferson and, you know, over here in this community and this neighborhood. And we just kind of drove around and, and was thinking, look at all the diversity that we saw there. And I, I promise you, folks, there are people out there that are good people in their own minds. And there are a lot, uh, in a lot of their minds, they're better than the church people that they know. And yet they're either Christians who are trying to live their life in isolation or they just don't know Christ. And and they think that somehow we're just this, you know, mightier than thou, holier than thou type of people. No, we're people that have been re-identified through the work of Jesus Christ. And, And I promise you that there's a community out there, there's people out there, they desire true community and true fellowship. That's why, you know, even though I'm a proud Southern Baptist, I I promise you, there is no Catholic, you know, Lutheran, Methodist, Southern Baptist, you know, in in God's book. You know, when when he writes down people that come to know Christ in the Lamb's Book of Life, I don't think he put beside them Methodist, you know, Baptist, Catholic. I, I don't think he does it. He's just Christ. We have one identity, Christ. And so when, you know, when we were driving through, I said, man, look at these fields are just ripe with harvest. There's just people out here that just want to, they want to identify. And, and that's why on Saturday, maybe they do, they become part of that bulldog nation because all of a sudden they're not living life in isolation. They can identify and they can join together. But, but folks, and again, for all the UGA fans, <laughs> don't want to start a war here. But, you know, if that's the ultimate identity that we have, that we're part of the Bulldog Nation, that, that's going to come up empty. That's great when you're chasing for, you know, number one in the country. But what about those years? And, and you know, they haven't had one in, in, a, in a long time. But what about those years that you go, you know, three and eight? You know, is that identity still there? You're surrounded by people that long to be part of a nation, part of a people, part of a family. And... Uh, John Lennon, remember years ago, uh, any John Lennon fans that would admit to it? Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, what is probably perhaps his most famous song? Imagine probably, you know, as far as his solo career, you know, that he's just out there. And uh, so I, I may be stepping on toes this morning because you might say, man, I love that song. It was like my favorite song. Um, 
It's not a good song, guys. It really isn't. You know, you know I, I think I know where he's trying to go. Because the whole song, imagine, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine that there's no hell. Uh, imagine that there's no countries, no religion to. You know, all, all those different things. When you kind of go through that song, he's going, okay, imagine that there's not all these differences. And if you take away all these differences, then life is just going to be full of peace. He saw unity only coming when you were stripped of all identification that made you different. Jesus does just the opposite. He says, man, I'll take all the differences. I'll take Jews and Greeks, slave and free, male and female. He said, I'll take everybody, and I will take all those differences, but I will give you a new identity in me and Jesus Christ. And he said, that, you're going to be part of a new nation. So this thinking that, okay, the only way that we get peace, the only way that we get camaraderie, the only way that we kind of get along is if we drop everything. No. Some of you are from the north, and you're proud of being from the north. Some of you are from the south, and you're proud to be from the south. Some of you from this and that and the other, and, and you're, you're proud about that. And yet, I pray that as you come to Christ, your new identity is in Christ, and that's what would bring us together as a church. Let me end with this final illustration, and, and, and I think it really gets to the heart of the New Testament, part of what Paul intended here and the heart of, of, of what I believe uh, is, is church. And so as you have an important vote coming up next week and you have to make an important decision for, uh, uh, for this church and for yourselves. Um, I, I just want you to know my heart. You take a 70-year-old man, and uh, did you raise your hand on that one? Okay. Uh, I saw that hand. Okay. And you take a 12-year-old boy, okay, and for the most part, because of the generational difference, we would say, man, those guys have nothing in common. In fact, the 12-year-old is maybe bored with the 70-year-old, and the 70-year-old is perturbed with the 12-year-old. And, uh, man, y'all just don't work hard enough. You don't have, you know. Can you see that the generational differences would kind of put a divide there? One thing makes a difference. If that 70-year-old man is granddad. If that 70-year-old man is granddad, then all good. he's the hero. And you go hunting together. You go fishing together. You go to ball games together. You do this. It's still 12 and 70, but the difference is your family. That's what Paul was getting to. He said, because of Christ, man, people have nothing in common, people that could really even be perturbed with one another. Now in this new identity of Christ, he said, now you're brothers and sisters. Now you're family. You're one nation. Even more intimately, you're one household. That's my heart. There's nothing more exciting for me to see diversity of people and diverse in every way. Shadowbrook, we were so blessed. Um, yeah. and, and, and please forgive me when I say Shadowbrook. That's, that's where I've been for 23 years. You know? And uh, when you say, well, Daryl did it this way. No, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just know that we're, we're on new ground here, okay? So I won't be offended when you, the, the thousands of times you say, well, Daryl did it better. And, you know, I, you, please don't be offended when I say, well, Shadowbrook. But Shadowbrook, one of the things that I, I guess I had the most joy in is seeing such a diverse people. I mean, we truly had, I think, 17 different nations or national backgrounds that had come together. We had more backgrounds as far as religion identification than, than you could imagine. And in the last five or six years, just to see that flourish in that community and that they dropped their differences because their eyes were on what brought them together, and that was the finished work of Christ. 
That should be the beauty of every church. And I pray that that's the beauty of this church. And I pray that you know that beauty intimately. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Theoretically, yes. Theoretically, going to church does not save you. Practically, by any mention of the New Testament, no. It was, I mean, just the assumption. They didn't even come out there and say, now make sure that if you're a Christian, you are part of a local body of believers. He doesn't even say that because he's just, to, to, to Paul and to Peter and to every one of those other ones that we've read, it was just the assumption. Of course, if you're a believer and your new identity is in Jesus Christ, you're going to be a part of some kind of local gathering of folks so that you can encourage one another, that you can keep one another accountable, you can pray for one another, you can help one another, that you can do life together. That's my heartbeat. I, I share that with you today. I just want you to know, uh, you know more about myself, kind of where I come from, how, how I view church, and uh, what, what makes me tick. And it is seeing people get a brand new start in life, a brand new identity in Christ, and, and people that the Hatfields and McCoys coming together because that which combines them, which brings them together, is bigger and greater than anything that separates them. Let's pray together today. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I thank you for this time that we've been in your word. Father, I thank you for, uh, for every one of Paul's writings and the, how you just gifted him and you led him by your spirit, Father, to write these things. But Father, we really do see in Ephesians chapter 2, Father, such majesty of, of where we were, this before and after picture. And Father, I thank you today that uh, we can be a part of the after picture. And Father, we can do that individually and we can trust you and in the work of Christ. And, Father, we can come into this new life. But, Father, also that we can do this in a corporate way, that, Father, that no longer do we have to look at all the differences, but, Father, that we can have this new identity as the family of God. Father, that gives me encouragement for this church, for Shadowbrook, and for any church who's trying to reach their community. But we look, man, I don't think old Joe is ever going to come to church. But, Father, I just know that in old Joe's heart, he has a longing that you've placed there to be part of a people. He's a long, he has a longing to identify with others. And Father, I just pray that for all those old Joes and all those people out there that we just kind of write off sometimes, we think that they'll never want to, to be a part of a church. Father, I pray that we would trust you working in our lives. Father, I pray today that you would make this application to us personally, that, that Father, we would understand that, that our attendance here at Cornerstone, Father, is not by chance, but, Father, that you call people to churches. And you call them to, to, to be an intimate part of a local church and that we would never take that lightly, but we would always see the beauty of that. We love you, Father. You are everything. And, Father, we just thank you and we praise you this morning as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to have a time as Ricky leads us this morning to, to respond. And maybe you want to pray for the church this morning. Maybe you want to pray for uh, uh, the church's direction, the different things. Maybe, maybe there's folks in, in your neighborhood that you're going, you know, he, uh, I, I know an old Joe. Uh, I know this guy. I kind of wrote him off because I was thinking, you know, he's just not the church type. Well, maybe they were thinking you weren't the church type five years ago or ten years ago. And yet Christ has come into your life and changed everything. And so this morning we respond to him, maybe just praying for a, a friend, maybe a family member, a neighbor, praying for ourselves to, to truly see who we are in Christ 
and see the beauty of what God has done when he's brought a people together and given us a local church to worship in. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.